AT&T Threat Track is a roundtable discussion of security trends and news. Full video of this program can be found on YouTube by searching for AT&T Threat Track. So, Matt, I hear you have a story about some malware that uses some legitimate services for command and control. Yeah, that's right. It's kind of interesting. Trend Micro put out a report about a backdoor that they had found, and it, it's spread by watering hole. So you sort of have to go to the site, uh, and it, it infects you from there. And then it does a couple stages worth of malware. But the interesting thing is that the command and control is done through GitHub and Slack. That's interesting. So GitHub, you know, people know it's a, mostly as a code repository. They got this thing called Gists, which is sort of a quick way to drop a little bit of text on the site. So the malware, the second stage, reaches out and grabs a gist from GitHub, which is sort of a list of commands that it has to run. The malware itself uses common sites that you, you might normally see in day-to-day -day traffic leaving your company. So you may be allowing this out of your network by, your, by itself and not know it. And apparently all the different copies of the malware use the same gist. So one mm -hmm. of the limitations of the malware is that everything that it's all running the same command. So you update that gist, every copy will go and run those same exact commands. So, I mean, if you're running a large number of different, you know, bots or of this malware, then it's like, they all have to run the same thing. It's not really an individual command and control. Um, but when it finds what it's looking for, and there are certain commands that it supports, it'll package that up and use the Slack API to post it to a Slack channel. So whatever's being stolen off the box ends up in a Slack channel somewhere. So it's kind of interesting. I haven't really seen Slack used for that before, yeah, uh, and GitHub for the, 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 the command and control of it. It's not something you see malware do. Typically, malware will, you know, it'll get a payload from a custom domain that's been set up or you know, a domain that's been compromised, not an official code repository like GitHub or, or Gist. Yeah. So it grabs very specific kinds of files. Some of the more interesting ones are the backup files for a Skype uh, installation. Mm. Uh, which is a little bit weird, right? Yeah, that is uh, but it also grabs files for a specific bulletin board management software called Neologic Plus Board. Right. So it's okay. kind of it seems specific. like it's specifically targeted towards either certain people or a certain population of people because mm -hmm. this Neologic is for like bulletin board admin software, right? Mm. Also grabs uh, information related to Twitter, Kakao Talk. Um, I don't know what's important about BBS owners that they're the ones being targeted by this malware, but it yeah. seems to be the, the target population. And again, it's a watering hole attack. So it's something that the, the, the attacker has to compromise a site that he knows his intended victims are going to visit. And they weren't very specific as to what site was compromised. Um, but it's, it's a very interesting case. I guess the more specific this stuff gets to a target population, the more you're kind of like, well, what, what's going on here, right? Because yeah. it was some sort of you know garden variety you know, hack whoever you can hack kind of software, then it would be, you know, notable. Uh, but someone's got a definite interest here in these BBS owners. So. Yeah. yeah, that's interesting. Do we know anything thus far about the victims in this instance? Uh, I don't recall anything in particular. No one's reported that they've, you know, been no, hit I, with this malware or anything like that? No, I think Trend Micro must have found out about it in some way. I'm mm -hmm. not really sure if it was reported to them yeah. or if it was like, you know, they found it and decided to say, by the way, you've been hacked. Uh, I don't really know off the top of my head. Yeah, I mean that could shed some light on, you know, who the target is because you're right, it is it is pretty specific. Yeah. yeah. What do you think, Mike? Yeah, it's certainly interesting. Like you mentioned, I mean, it's the first time you've really seen uh, Slack used, you know, kind of as uh, command and control. I mean, I think in the past, I know we've seen other popular kind of communication software, things like Twitter. Certainly, I think GitHub before, and 
Um, really, I guess any medium you know that you can easily create an account that you can communicate that you know makes it through a proxy easy. Uh, you can use you know for nefarious purposes. And that looks like it might be legitimate. You know what I mean? So exactly, like if it was exactly. some arbitrary website. We probably you know wow that's some site that's never been seen before. You know why would, and I would go after that and look at it. Mm -hmm. But Slack, you know, if you've got a company that allows it through your proxy, yeah. or GitHub in particular, you know, those mm -hmm. two by themselves are are pretty well used, especially in like a developer developer context. Yeah, uh, the article mentions that the some of the API keys were embedded within the code mm -hmm. um, for Slack. And I'm wondering if, if Slack and GitHub has been made aware that this oh. is going on, that their services are being used for... So services. I can verify the Slack one, but I know for a fact that the GitHub um, endpoints that were mentioned, uh, you can no longer reach those. So someone's done Good. some cleanup. Good. Um, but I, I, it's, it's trivial to create another GitHub account and you know, start doing the thing again, mm -hmm. so people have to keep an eye out for it. Yeah. So it may be worth investigating to see, do I use either of these sites? Do I use file.io, which was the upload site? And just understanding what normal behavior in our network looks like so that if something like this does occur, you can spot it more easily. So Mike, you've got an interesting story here about uh, some smart car alarms that are uh, exposing some vehicles to some hijacking. Yeah, exactly. I mean, actually, the. The article called it ironic, right? Uh, you have these aftermarket car alarm systems um, from two vendors, uh, Pandora uh, and Viper. Viper is also called Clifford in the United Kingdom. Uh, both were found to have vulnerabilities uh, that allowed for remote exploit, um, particularly in the uh, in their smartphone applications that they use to, you know, control the alarm systems. Uh, but some researchers uh, were able to identify that there were some vulnerabilities in both apps that use this uh, insecure direct object references, or IDORs, um, in both of the applications, different APIs. Uh, and these IDORs are pretty common mistake. I mean, you, they're in the um, OWASP top 10 uh, for broken access control, so they're a pretty common mistake that developers tend to make. I think there's something that developers have to understand is that as long as it's sitting out there on the network, people are going to interact with it, no matter what it is, in ways that you have not intended, and you need to protect against that sort of abuse. Uh, so these researchers were able to tamper with some of the parameters and actually update the email addresses associated with the accounts without any authentication. Uh, so able to send password resets to their email addresses and then gain access to the accounts. A uh, bunch of different, a bunch of interesting uh, details here. Um, one was you can actually register an account in in both systems without actually purchasing anything. So you can create test and demo accounts uh, and ultimately gain access to some real credentials. Uh, and once you had access, you could do kind of a whole slew of things. You could get geolocation. You could get personal information about the owner. Uh, you could disable, obviously, the alarm. You could unlock the doors. Um, and even in some cases, they claimed you could kill the engine while it was running. Um, so just a lot of, a lot of bad things if you uh, were able to gain access. The problem, though, is that these companies have stated that uh, their application has been downloading, downloaded over 3 million times. Uh, that's a huge number uh, of people who are exposed to this or were exposed to this. They did, however, report uh, to both vendors this issue. They actually gave them seven days, a kind of a quick turnaround to fix, because they kind of assumed that maybe this was already being exploited out in the wild. Uh, and they said that both actually responded pretty quickly and fixed the vulnerabilities within a few days. Uh, and they confirmed that these, uh, these fixes were in place. Uh, that's certainly interesting. Um, so the, it sounded like the article reported it as a vulnerability in the app, but it, it sounded to me more like 
it was a vulnerability in the, the servers that support the app because the calls you can make directly to the, the servers without even involving the app, right? You can, you can create yourself an account from right. the web and then go ahead and send those commands as long as you know what the endpoints are. You can just do the same right. sort of stuff an app would do, but the app would probably ask you to, to sign in and, and prove you actually might you know, own that car, maybe? <laughs> I think that's important right. to do. Yeah. Yeah, well, that sounds, it sounds pretty familiar. I mean, I've seen this sort of thing happen with a lot of mobile apps where really it's the back end that's, that's not doing its job properly and mm -hmm. sort of relying on people to interact with it in the way that the app specifies mm -hmm. and not in the way that those protocols allow you to. This is probably all over HTTP, HTTPS, I'm guessing? Yeah, the article didn't go into much actual details. Um, there is a link to to the actual researchers. They they provide a little more, but I believe it was, it was just doing post calls, right? Uh, yep. They probably reverse engineer, like you mentioned, the app to see ultimately where the endpoints are. Um, but yeah, it's just over over rest calls. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> well, it's not the first time we've seen vulnerabilities come from automotive industry. Mm -hmm. Obviously, this has been plenty in the past. Actually, speak to somewhat of a larger problem. Um, there's a report actually from uh, Panama Institute actually that's, that shows 30% of companies uh, don't even have their own cybersecurity team. So there's a percent of, of car companies? Of automotive, or yeah, from companies from the automotive industry don't have their own cybersecurity team. Oh boy. So, you know, maybe they're a little bit behind the times in understanding the importance of cybersecurity. You know, maybe it's the situation where, you know, desperation will breed action mm -hmm. and something like this being actually exploited in the wild. Hopefully that doesn't happen. But if it did, we'd hope that it would, it would prompt other companies to say, I don't, I don't want that to happen. Oh, sure. So let's take security a little more seriously. Mm -hmm. I don't want to tell people not to buy smart devices that make their lives more convenient, um, but they should at least be aware of the fact that anything that you add to a system may not necessarily make it more secure, even if its stated function is security. So Andy, you've got a story about mini UPnP and there's a, a vulnerability in the protocol or in a specific implementation of the protocol? Yeah, that's correct. Um, a security research company Actually, they're not exclusively a research company. They actually have their own products. Uh, Vidu, actually, they specialize in IoT security. Mm -hmm. um, they actually uncovered some vulnerabilities, three exact vulnerabilities, uh, in the Mini UPnP uh, open source library. Mini UPnP is how IoT devices actually communicate with each other, communicate with the router, mm -hmm. um, discover other devices on the network and what they can do, things like that. Um, one of the vulnerabilities that was discovered was actually an information leak. Um, Vidu actually says that you can actually bypass the uh, ASLR mechanism. Um, Whoa. Yeah, which is, which is not it, good. Mini UPnP. Yeah, which is not good. Mini UPnP is a component of other software. So it may be present in software that you're already using. It's probably present in a number of IoT devices. Um, some may be in your home. So essentially what happens is a user can subscribe to a UPnP event mm -hmm. and in that request you provide a callback URL and uh, the implementation of this particular uh, subscription so to speak uh, when you if you can you can provide a callback URL that is a lot longer than the allocated buffer it sounds familiar it doesn't check that mm -hmm. and so when it's returned to you it obviously returns more than it should oh. so then you're able to see you know more than what what you're allowed to see in that buffer, essentially. So Vidu actually found um, a few null dereference vulnerabilities. Um, what they found was that uh, there's a function that actually is run to, and it expects an XML formatted data to come back. Mm -hmm. And what happens is, if that data doesn't come back in XML format, the value that, that gets stored is null. 
Um, but immediately following that code is an A2I function, so an ASCII to integer function. Yep. And when you run that on null, there's a problem. Right. So then you can crash it that way, which is not good. Um, the other one they found was a use after free vulnerability. Mm -hmm. um, they actually stated that it's not immediately dangerous. Uh, there's some specific conditions that, that prevent reliable exploitation of this particular vulnerability. Um, but essentially how it works is that a user can exhaust uh, the memory um, of a process. And what happens is uh, when a daemon goes to update the device's information, uh, it'll fail to allocate new memory. And then what will happen is the original struct will be freed, but it won't be removed from that list. Mm. So there's a problem yep. there, you know. Um, that's actually the use after free vulnerability was actually found in the um, the latest uh, Google Chrome zero day. Oh, it's pretty interesting. It's not the exact implementation, but it, but you know it's, it's similar. So the what's the exposure with this bug then? So it's anybody who's using this particular mini UPnP library. Yeah, it's, okay. it's any well not anymore. So uh, the VD researchers actually did say that they worked very closely with the author of that particular library. And he was actually able to turn around with a with a, with a patch, or not a patch, but but you know update the code mm -hmm. within the same day. Okay, which is pretty well. Cool. That's great. Yeah. Except that this is a library that gets used in IoT, and we know that there's a long lead time between something getting patched, and it actually getting out to all the effective devices. It is important to note that the maintainers of the software have fixed the problem on their end. It is also important to note that this does not necessarily mean that anyone using the same libraries downstream has patched their software. If this article is, is hitting close to home, mm -hmm. um, you, you can go to the actual library source, and there's a compatibility list there. Okay. So you can go and check out the different devices, and if your device is one of them, you know, update yeah. as soon as you can. And hopefully with the release of this bug, if someone who maintains another project that relies on it gets wind of it, hopefully they'll be sending out a notification saying, by the way, if you use my stuff, you're affected by this. Yeah. And that's the best case scenario. Yes. Yeah. What do you think, Mike? Yeah, so I mean, just in general, just like you said, UPnP, I mean, we've seen just by nature of it being a discovery protocol, um, you know, in the past where there's been just overexposure. I mean, I think we did a story on the Chromecast hack before where you had, you know, some of these Chromecasts were, were made public uh, over UPnP. So the fact that you just have already a protocol that kind of lends itself to maybe overexposure now has have actual vulnerabilities and a couple that with the fact that it's embedded in so many IoT devices like you mentioned that have these long lead times on patching uh, you know could, could turn into a big problem exactly so you know I, I would be diligent in making sure that any IoT devices you have connected to your home network get updated with this new code so that you're not vulnerable to these attacks All right, let's take a look at this week's internet weather. So the top 10 most probe ports, uh, top of the list is 23 TCP, that's Telnet, not a whole bunch of change there. Uh, 445 TCP is SMB, and those two usually sort of switch around a bit. Uh, 22 TCP is SSH, that's up to, it's kind of interesting, uh, but it's one of those ports we've seen a lot of scanning on for a very long time. Yeah. Uh, 81 TCP is uh, an alternate web port we've seen related to different uh, IoT vulnerabilities. 80YCMP is ping, that's up two spots. 3389 is remote desktop protocol. 8080 is another one of those uh, IoT web ports. 80TCP is up four slots, that's just plain old web traffic. Uh, 3306, I think, is MySQL server. Mm -hmm. 443 is SSL, and that's down two spots. Uh, the most sources probing, again, that is the number of individual endpoints probing and not the volume of the traffic they're sending. Uh, 445 TCP, we talked about 23, 80, 80, 80. Uh, 5431 is actually a Broadcom UPnP vulnerability. 
You know how we were talking about UPnP scanning before? Mm -hmm. This is an example of that kind of traffic. Mm -hmm. uh, 5555 is Android debug bridge, remote debug bridge in particular. 53 UDP is up 11 spots, so someone is looking for uh, mm. DNS servers. Mm. Usually that's somebody who's looking for DNS servers for a reflective amplification attack, because yeah. you can get a lot of data back from a DNS server, and it's UDP, which means you can spoof your source. Uh, 80 ICMP is ping, 1900 UDP is SSDP, simple, simple service discovery protocol, and 81 TCP is, again, another one of those web ports. So taking a look at 445, it actually looks like it's trending downwards slightly, which I think sort of jives with what we saw before where it had switched top spots with port, port 23. Um, but you know, that's, it's not a significant decrease. Uh, 5431 is that Broadcom UPnP bug. Mm. And over the last month or so, we've seen significant uh, concentrated scanning. You could see before it was mostly, you know, blips every week or so. Someone was very, very interested in it for a brief amount of time and then fell off. Now it seems like there's possibly a different botnet doing uh, consistent scanning across yeah, yeah. multiple days, uh, somewhere around the five to 10,000 source um, range. Yeah. We see a lot of UPnP scanning for obvious reasons. It does present security vulnerabilities for IoT, um, but it, it ties back to a story that we had just done uh, with some vulnerabilities in a, an open source library for mini UPnP. 1433 MS SQL is, I was on the show last time, we had a huge drop off on this. I just want to check back and see where things have gone. It seems like the floor is somewhere around 500 different sources per hour with a couple of spikes uh, every day or so, but it's nowhere near the way that it was before. So this seems to have been abandoned in favor of other ports or perhaps there was a botnet that's decided to not scan quite as aggressively. It's not really uh, easy to say. Port 23, actually, you can see at the end over there, there's a slight uptick in the number of scan sources. We broke the 50,000 scan sources per hour count. Uh, and this probably is part of why we're seeing those two ports uh, switch spaces. I can't say that those are actually the, the same botnets, you know, switching spaces, but it certainly is an interesting uh, trend. We'll see how long it tracks. Uh, this one did not show up in the top 10, but it hit uh, a, a, a volumetric alarm of ours, so I decided to take a closer look at it. And it's port 9527 TCP, and it seems to be specific to IoT devices using a high silicon chip, and it's a debug port, which you mm -hmm. can do certain things over, but it also appears to be sort of an indicator that this device is a, a, a certain type of device. So what you might see is that someone will scan for port one to say, hey, is this the device I think it is? And once they've confirmed it, they go to the port that's actually vulnerable. We've seen this before with other devices that are IoT, uh, where they've got some sort of indicator on a higher port, and then once you've figured out what it is, you go to that lower port and you know what that password is because you've fingerprinted the device. Yep. So in this case, it seems to be there's a couple people who have actually figured out how to do this for their own IP cameras. They know this is the port, and they know that there's a default uh, password. So with a one-two combination, you can get right into the device. So it seems to be one more bug that's being added to the list that people are scanning for in order to build out their botnets. 53.413 UDP is its Netis backdoor. It's another one I figured I would check in on as well. Uh, we did have some spikes in the middle of February, but it's um, quite down. It's quite down from there. Um, but yeah, still another one of those interesting ones. This was a, a backdoor that you could use a single UDP uh, packet uh, for command injection. So that one's pretty interesting to track always. Yeah. And that's it for the internet weather. The views expressed on AT&T ThreatTrack are those of the participants and do not necessarily represent the views of AT&T or any other person or entity.